0: The law can be a powerful tool for protecting human rights, as our honoree has demonstrated countless times in his home country of Kenya. We are delighted to announce that this year's recipient is Alan Achesa Malechi.
1: To the judges in the room, I must say, leaving this room and if you go back to your home and you have a case you're going to listen to, apply science, apply the law, apply rationality, and be able to ensure that you make a decision that takes the rights-based approach into interest.
0: Hi, this is Karin Weiss and welcome to the Medicus Mundi Switzerland Health for All podcast. And today we talk with Alan Malece, who is a human rights lawyer in Kenya. He is a well-known HIV activist and award winner of the prestigious Elizabeth Taylor Human Rights Award and the founding executive director of Kenya Legal and Ethical Issues Network on HIV and AIDS, in short, Kayleen. Hi, Alan. I'm so excited having you on this podcast, Health for All, and to hear about your experience as a human rights activist.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Karin. I look forward to the conversation uh, on issues of health and human rights.
0: So, Alan, how does a day of a lawyer in Kenya look like?
1: (laughs) Well, a uh, day for a lawyer in Kenya, especially one who deals with health and human rights, means that you are at the forefront of speaking to communities, particularly vulnerable groups of people living with HIV, uh, women who are vulnerable to sexual reproductive health rights violations. Uh, you are in touch with them to know what kind of challenges are facing and what kind of support you can give them with the use of the legal knowledge that we have.
0: Alan, you work in Kenya as a lawyer and you defend the rights of HIV-affected people, lesbian, gay and bisexual people, among others. In your country, is it legal to be homosexual?
1: In my country, Kenya, we have a law called the Penal Code that makes it an offence for people to have sex against the order of nature. This is a law that was inherited from the colonial days from the British, so... Ordinarily, just being gay being gay doesn't make you illegal, but being caught in the act is what makes it illegal.
0: Ah, And what would happen in your country? Because in Switzerland, we can see lesbians and gay people walking hand in hand in the streets and kissing in public. What would happen in your country?
1: The Kenyan context, if uh, lesbian or gay couples were to be seen walking hand in hand or kissing in public, I think... Sometimes, and I've witnessed, has been public outroar, and there's also been violence emitted against them because socially, same-sex relationships are stigmatized and people do not believe that's the norm and something that should be acceptable. So definitely some ridicule, violence or even reporting to the police are actions that are likely to take place in the circumstances.
0: When was the moment when you decided to work as a human rights activist for people affected by HIV? Are you affected by it yourself or what was your story behind it?
1: I think my story for working with people living with HIV started way back when we were working as law students in a health clinic that was working with women who are pregnant and they were trying to determine how to reduce the spread of infection from the mother to the child. And so that became my moment to try and figure out how can I use the law to ensure that the women who are in the study are not exploited and that if ever drug or medicine was found to help stop transmission from mother to child how do they ensure they benefit so that's what sparked my interest uh, to use my law degree uh, to be able to help women who i felt were very vulnerable at a time when we had very little answers to issues relating to hiv because a judge is only good as the lawyer who appears before him so if we bring a bad case you will get a bad judgment. If you bring a good case, you will get a good judgment.
0: I remember your story that women with a HIV positive status got unknowingly sterilized while giving birth at the hospital because of the HIV infection in your country. Can you tell us a bit more about this human rights abuse?
1: So that came much later on uh, in the late... uh, late 90s when a silent practice was adopted uh, that so women who are living with hiv and who are pregnant are being subjected to tubal ligation or what we properly call a sterilization because it was assumed that they didn't want them to give birth to children who are living with hiv it was assumed that they couldn't make decisions by themselves and so we had a number of cases where women were being lured in terms of having tubal ligation without their consent or during a cesarean section without their knowledge and they'll discover later on. So this is something that has been happening but uh, since we filed a case in court that is still ongoing, we have seen a reduction in the number of cases being reported of women being subjected to tubal ligation.
0: Kayleen, your organization is now recognized globally for its work in advancing the rights of persons affected by HIV and tuberculosis. What kind of issues do you have currently on your table?
1: <laughs> well, we have a variety of issues that we've just talked about. Currently, a court case challenging uh, the forced tubal ligation of women living with HIV who are attending clinics, both in government and private hospitals. Uh, we currently are going to the court of appeal uh, to challenge a decision by the court of our, by the high court. Uh, not to strike down the laws that uh, criminalize same sex relations. We have a case at the High Court that is looking at striking down a law that makes it an offense to deliberately infect someone with HIV. We all know the danger of laws that criminalize deliberate infection. Uh, so we have that on the table uh, being challenged. And outside the courtroom, we are closely working with adolescent girls and young women in bay and Kisumu County to help them have access to sexually productive health rights, uh, to help them seek access to justice when they face gender-based violence, and to also give them legal advice and advice around how to make decisions and to be more independent as young people to be less vulnerable to HIV infection. So we have quite a lot going on, but that's just the tip of the iceberg.
0: Do you have more work due to the pandemic?
1: Definitely COVID has uh, brought a different kind of strain to our work. Uh, because how the government of Kenya, even generally across the world, many governments have continued to violate human rights as they implement COVID restriction measures, and that has not been any stranger to Kenya. So we actually currently have three cases, one dealing with people who were subjected to forced Uh, mandatory quarantine without taking into account their human rights, particularly their mental health. Uh, We have cases concerning access to information where a number of people have come out, including Kellyn, to challenge the government to make public information around their COVID response, uh, particularly utilization of resources that they have received from various individuals and governments from abroad. We also have cases dealing with people who have been detained in hospital because they are unable to pay for their COVID treatment, yet the government has received donor money to try and address that. So there have been cases and there have been a larger number of cases dealing with police brutality and enforcing of the curfew and aspects along that particular line.
0: In your country, lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender Kenyans face human rights violations on a daily basis. In 2019, there was a case where you were involved where the Kenyan High Court did not vote to repeal a section of the panel code that criminalized consensual sexual acts of homosexual people. Can you tell us a bit more about this case?
1: Yes, this is the case... uh popularly known as the Eric Guitari case because of the person who first filed the case, but it's generally a case of a number of uh, uh, gay people, uh, lesbian uh, people, and a number of civil society organizations who have forged together uh, to file lawsuits uh, to challenge the manner in which uh, particular law has been implemented, and this is the provision of the penal code 162 uh, that says anyone who has sex against the order of nature has committed an offense and can be imprisoned to up to 14 years. Uh, And so this case was filed and many people, particularly Kellyn, argued that the existence of those laws made it difficult to provide HIV services to these groups of people. And for that reason, others raised concerns around the violence that the law allowed to be used against them, the stigma and discrimination. And these were all arguments that were put before the court, but unfortunately, the court did not take them into account. That's why we are now appealing the decision at the Court of Appeal.
0: And where does it come from that people are criminalised based on their sexual identity?
1: It comes from the influence from what the law says, from what religion says, uh, from societal values that have been calculated upon us that are, you may not have same-sex relationships and that if you do, that is not what is expected in the norm of society. So a lot of stigma and discrimination has stemmed from those particular practices going forward.
0: There is evidence that criminal laws that punish sexual acts of lesbians, gay, bisexual and transgender people hinder them to access healthcare services they are afraid to be identified as homosexual, hence discriminated against, persecuted or prosecuted. Can you explain it in more details?
1: I think these are part of the things that were being raised at the High Court to say that When you have this law, it's difficult for a gay person to seek services from any health clinic because very few clinics understand the needs of gay people. And so with the absence of such specialized clinic, it means that it's not easy for gay people to access healthcare services, and it makes it worse for those who are living with HIV because then they need constant treatment, they need constant follow-up, and if they can't get clinics that they are happy with where they are not scared that healthcare workers Will not discriminate them, it becomes quite difficult for them to access healthcare services. Yet, our law says that everyone has a right to access healthcare services, and that would include uh, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people.
0: So, there's a contradiction. Exactly. So, for example, let's take an example. There is a gay Kenyan who has syphilis or HIV, and he knows where he got it from. So, what can this person do?
1: Well, for the few peer-led clinics that are run by actually gay organizations such as hoimas or ishta uh, uh, or pema kenya such clinics exist that i've got gay people who've been trained to be able to roll out services. So there are very few friendly gay clinics that they can go to, but ordinarily they need to seek health care uh, from uh healthcare service providers. But the fear they would have is that sometimes they may face stigma and discrimination because they may be told to bring their partners, they may be questioned as to how they think they got the infection, and that may lead to more stigma for them. So we normally encourage them to go uh, to clinics that have got trained health care workers who understand the issues of gay communities or to go to peer-led clinics which has already gay people that understand the issues and are able to direct them accordingly.
0: And what needs to be done in order to improve access to healthcare care services for, for these vulnerable people?
1: I think a number of things starting off with the fact that uh, we must ensure healthcare workers are well-trained to understand the needs of gay people or the LGBTI community generally. That's a lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, intersex person, even queer persons these needs need to be taken into account. So in terms of accessing healthcare services, the Ministry of Health needs to invest greatly in terms of training their healthcare providers to be sensitive to the needs of these groups of people. I think we also need increased funding to ensure that medication and treatment that is needed for uh, their services is available in terms of lubricants, in terms of condoms, in terms of air for those who are HIV positive, that needs to be made available. And we need programs to address the broader stigma and discrimination from the general public uh, so that this can be addressed. And of course, lastly, getting the laws on the books that the police use to criminalize, emit violence against the gay community should be taken off the record so that the non-existence of the law makes it easier for the gay community to thrive in Kenya.
0: There are countries which decriminalize sexual relations of homosexuals such as Angola, Botswana, Gabon or Mozambique. And at the same time there are at least 68 countries which criminalize sexual acts among lesbians and gay people. From your perspective, as a lawyer, what are the next steps to fight for health for all and the rights of LGBTI people?
1: I think the next steps would be first following through the entire court case, see what the court of appeal has to say. Uh, And I think that's one step because it'll get the laws of the books, which is something that is very critical for the HIV response, because we have seen from studies from the Global Commission on the HIV and the law by UNDP that show that, and even UNAID demonstrate, a country that has bad laws that criminalizes certain groups makes it difficult for you to win against the HIV response. <laughs> so getting the bad laws of the book is one of the most and major important steps. As I mentioned, increased funding, both from governments and also fund such as the Global Fund, is critical in terms of ensuring that HIV services for all, including vulnerable groups like the gay community, sex workers, must all be taken into account. And lastly, our leaders, both at the highest political level, must embrace love, hope, and uh, prosperity and not use words that divide society or throw hatred towards the gay community. They must preach love, they must preach unity, they must preach non-violence and tolerance of everyone who has a different sexual orientation.
0: What do countries like Angola or Botswana do better?
1: (laughs) Well I think uh, for the case of Botswana it was about second or third time try before the court And so the court stood up and was quite brave around the issue. Angola, it was more around the legislators. And we've also seen a bit of that in Rwanda and elsewhere. So it highly depends on your judiciary. It also depends on your parliament. Do you have people that understand the issues and can make the right decisions about these particular issues?
0: Let's move on to another area of your work and where we met. I met you at several board meetings at the Global Fund to Fight HIV, AIDS, TB and Malaria in Geneva. You were a board member at the developing country NGO delegation and in each of your speeches you referred to the importance of respecting human rights and to fight human rights violations. You really stood out with your human rights focus. How came you engaged with the Global Fund activities?
1: So my work at the Global Fund was quite critical for me and also for the country, but broadly for the civil society organizations in developing countries, where we are trying to seek to ensure that the Global Fund makes decisions and actually implements those decisions in a manner that makes the lives of people living with HIV, those with malaria, and those with TB much more better. And so our engagement was mostly directly speaking to affected communities. We did country visits at least every year when we had our delegation retreat. We picked a developing country, met with the community. We also had online calls and we had systems in place that allowed us to interact with them online to get their views and eventually synthesize their views and articulate them at the board table through the committees that we are serving on uh, to ensure that the Global Fund got first-hand experience around what the civil society and the communities affected were facing while uh, the grants were being rolled out. And most importantly, to also work with the donors to raise enough resources that would be needed to end the epidemics.
0: So you are involved in one of the most powerful organizations, the Global Fund, which has an annual budget of over four billion US dollars to fight against HIV, TB and malaria globally. The Global Fund works with governments, civil societies, technical agencies, the private sector and people affected by the disease. What is the role of an organization like the Global Fund to detect and fight human rights violations?
1: The Global Fund has a major role to detect and fight human rights violations. One. They must ensure that all the programs they fund do not violate human rights. And so if one of their principal recipients, those are the people who receive money from them to carry out work, is violating human rights, then the Global Fund must put in and has put in measures to ensure that such does not happen. Again, they must create active reporting mechanism through the Office of the Inspector General, Uh uh, to promote communities to know about rights, but also to have an ability to report when human rights are being violated. The board members of the Global Fund have a strong role at the global, regional, and national level uh, to translate the strategic objectives of the Global Fund, including the one on human rights and gender at their capitals, at the grassroots levels, at their embassies, uh, to be able to say human rights and rights-based approaches is a way to go if we want to win the fight against HIV, TB and malaria.
0: Does your country receive Global Fund funds?
1: Yes, uh, Kenya is eligible and has received Global Fund uh, money. In fact, we have just finished writing our proposal and waiting for it to be given the final go-ahead, so Kenya continues to receive Global Fund money.
0: And does your country listen to the Global Fund?
1: Uh, the country does listen to the global fund, but sometimes they try to drive more money towards buying commodities, whereas more money is needed towards not only buying commodities, but funding human rights and gender programs to remove the barriers that are in place that make it difficult for people to access healthcare services in a manner that respects their rights.
0: What is the role of donors? What, how much pressure can they put on the Global Fund or on countries which criminalise sexual acts of homosexual people?
1: I think it's important for donors and both uh, the Global Fund to put pressure on countries that have got negative laws that criminalise various populations, because this then, these countries, as they keep the laws, it makes it extremely difficult to have access and for people to easily uh, provide services to gay and lesbian communities, so pressure must be put in terms of asking what steps are they taking to remove some of the legal and policy barriers that make it difficult for people to be able to access HIV, TB, and malaria services, largely because of their sexual orientation or because of who they love or who they care for. So that's definitely one major step they can take as a global fund table through their capitals, uh, through their missions in country, through their embassies, through their ambassadors, are uh, speaking out when such violations happen, issuing statements, providing support to the LGBTI community when they are facing persecution, as has been in a number of African cases and in a number of uh, Asian countries, I think, they must step up and provide that particular support.
0: Health for all cannot be achieved without human rights. Why are human rights so important for health?
1: Human rights are important for health because it ensures that everyone is treated uh, in a manner that respects them as a human being, that has services tailor-made for them. And if you have services that are available, acceptable, uh, uh, accessible, and of good quality, then you increase your chances of getting health to all because accessible services means they are closer to people acceptable means that people agree and like what is being given is suited to their needs available means they are close enough people don't have to walk out so far and quality means they are getting the right standard that has been prescribed by who or the government of the day so people are then able to adhere to their medicines people are then able to prevent getting f- infections people are then able to ensure they get curative and palliative services when they need them and that makes healthcare much much better in the circumstances.
0: I would like to ask you the last question. If we want to achieve peace in the world we need to stop discriminating and stigmatizing people based on their sexual orientation. In your opinion what is the most important step towards stopping discrimination and stigmatization of vulnerable people?
1: I think the most important step is providing information to people to understand that people are different and we must treat each other as human beings. And that is what is count. That one is a human being and as long as they are not offending any laws Uh, any human rights, we must be able to accord them the respect that is needed. And most importantly, we must ensure where their rights are violated, where they're subjected to stigma and discrimination, then we must come in and protect them using the law around human rights or non-discrimination, around the fact that they have the right to health, around the fact that they have the right to dignity. We must then use the law, we must use the courts to try and safeguard these rights so that they can live normal lives like any other human be.
0: alan thank you so much for this very insightful talk i wish you and your team a lot of success in the fight for health and justice for all
1: thank you for having me it's been a great conversation and i look forward to our continued partnership karim
0: that was the medicus mundi health for all podcast with kachin weiss you can listen to it on apple podcast Spotify, and on our website To spread the message, please leave a comment on our website, share and like it. Stay tuned. The next episode is about sexuality, young people, their reality, hopes and dreams.